Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Good morning and welcome to the Live Life Liberated podcast. My name is Derek Myron, and today I have my guest, David Stapleton, joining me here in studio. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about private fiduciaries and their role in estate planning. And David happens to have a, runs a firm called Stapleton Group, Inc., here locally and uh, in Los Angeles. And what the heck is a private fiduciary, David? So a, a private fiduciary typically is someone who will manage or be appointed for somebody's trust or estate. So oftentimes people think about what's going to happen after I pass, who's going to administer my assets, how are they going to be set up or divvied out. So that's all created in the trust, but you need someone to administer it. So oftentimes people want someone with the requisite experience, team, and also the ability who's neutral, someone who's neutral that can understand a family dynamic and then ultimately administer what it is the person had set out and worked their whole life to create. For sure. So if they're unable or unwilling or to act, they appoint somebody like yourself to serve in that role. So those that would be super interested in listening to this today are ultra high net worth families who may have these needs and the advisors who serve them. I would like to first start with, David, just share a little bit about you and, and your company. Sure. Thanks. So our company was founded in 2008. We're about 25 people uh, with a broad range of services and specialties. We are a fiduciary company. That's what we do first and foremost. We have about six CPAs on staff. We have a real estate team. We have a unique asset team. We have financial modelers, operations teams and ultimately client relations. So really what I like about this business and what I'm passionate about is working with people. We develop a relationship with these families, with these individuals, and in a sense, we can almost be caretakers, stewards. Partner is probably not the right word, but sometimes it feels like a partner in, in carrying out their wishes, not a partner in their assets, but carrying out their wishes. Um, we've seen some amazing things. People have set up private foundations and charitable trusts. And we've also seen uh, some tragic things where we've been able to step in and really stabilize things and make sure that things are going to be okay for the next generation. So just so that the listening audience has some context, can you talk a little bit about your background and then maybe about the firm, the headcount, how much, you know? So uh, again, we started the company in 2008. I started my career as a CPA at Price Waterhouse in New York. Uh, so from there, I moved to San Diego. I don't know. It's been a while now. So maybe 2000, 2000 actually it was. So, and from there, uh, I worked in a company that provided fiduciary services for troubled businesses. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So really got to see a lot of businesses and intricacies and real estate and learn what, you know, what to do and what not to do and how to fix mistakes and how to preserve assets, reposition assets, and ultimately increase the value. So I did that for a number of years and then I worked in private equity for a period of time. And then I started this company. So we have about 25 people, as I mentioned, and with a broad range of services that really can handle any asset class that a person uh, or a trust or may have. 
So your background is a CPA by training. You're recovering CPA. Recovering, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was uh, look. It was a great education, great way to start your career, great way to learn. I'm also a licensed fiduciary too, so that's that's important when you're selecting a trustee. You want to have someone who's licensed, uh, so we hold that designation as well. So, can you take us through what are the different choices from from a trust company to a private fiduciary in the middle, and then at the end is friends and family, like? Sure. What, that's the continuum of choice, and why might somebody select one over the other uh, when they are unable or unwilling to act on their behalf? Sure. I think, I think the first question people usually ponder is, why don't I put my brother or my sister or my best friend or my son or my daughter in? And, and I think the challenges with that are, one, neutrality, two, expertise, three, level of commitment. So what we do, it can be very intense and you need a team to do it. So it's not often that the family member has that level of expertise or really has the time to dedicate to it. I think it's also puts family members in a compromising situation. You know, everyone has a family dynamic. And so you have to be mindful of what the biases and or stress or pressures you're putting on that person in order to act in the best interest of your trust and fairly for everybody. Well, in, in that though, you also can change the, fundamentally change the relationships amongst the people in your family if you ask them to serve in this role as well, right? Because you, yeah. you already have these family dynamics and now you're asking them to put on a new hat that, that may or may not change the relationships within the family. It, it does, it, you know, it could cause sibling rivalry, a number of issues. We've actually stepped in to replace family members on certain trusts just because A, it wasn't working or the person who was serving as trustee basically put their hands in the air and said, I've had enough. Um, and, and it's understandable. Yeah. I don't think um, people have good intentions when they make these choices, but things change. You know, and, and if someone passes, you know, dynamics change five, 10, 20 years later. So we don't, you know, for maybe for some estates it works, but I, I wouldn't recommend it. We, we have often uh, shared with folks when setting this stuff up, if, if they decide that their first choice is a family member, I often share with them, you know, having the threat to the, the remaining family to say, listen, if it's going to be too difficult, too arduous, contentious, I'll just simply resign and it will go to the next, which could be a private fiduciary or a, a trust uh, uh, a, a bank. Yeah, that, that's a smart move. And it, it, you know what? Like any estate, I'm not an attorney, but any estate planning attorney, what do people want? They want flexibility. And that having planning like that gives you that flexibility. Also, what we do can be very uh, time-consuming and intense. And now if a son or daughter is a veterinarian or uh, whatever job they have, this, is, this could be a full-time job and require a lot of planning, a lot of meetings. So they may not have the time to, to, to really effectuate what needs to get done. You asked about a corporate trustee. So we work with corporate. Corporate trustees actually hire us sometimes too because they don't. I look at our firm as sometimes maybe boots on the ground. So we have, you know, if there's special assets, we can go out and manage those. If there's real estate, we can handle that directly or through third-party vendors. But corporate trustees, um, you know, if, you're, if your estate is $10 million of Qualcomm stock, that's, that, that's pretty easy. That's a corporate trustee could do that all day long. But 
when I, the assets get a little more difficult, a little more esoteric, I think that's where we, we thrive and we struggle. I think also with corporate fiduciaries, you don't have that flexibility and you don't have that relationship. So it's a little more bureaucratic and you don't have, look, we pride ourselves on developing a relationship and really carrying out what the individual who appoints us wants done or the trust. And we take a lot of pride in that and we're just not as bureaucratic or. So on the one end, you have family and we talked about the different things that could come up around that. On the other end, you're talking about corporate trustees. And typically when you name bureaucratic, they're very concerned about being sued, that they want to make absolutely certain they don't color outside the lines, whatever the trust document is. In addition, they can have conflicts of interest because sometimes they have asset management departments that work, that they hire. So it's the same, the corporate trustee and the asset management department for that bank trustee could be the same group. Talk about those conflicts of interest in that relationship. Well, look, I find anyone who's who's built built wealth, accumulated wealth, you know, they were thoughtful about it and they had a plan. They had advisors they trusted that maybe they worked with for 20 or more years. So I find a lot of times when we come in, when we're able to use and leverage and be advised by that team, that's helpful. So sometimes when you're going to a corporate trust, all that is shoved into one house with a rotating staff that really doesn't have the history. And look, I, I think the history is important, but again, I'm saying it a couple of times, but it's the intention. What was the intention of the person? What what did what what assets or investments were they proud of that they wanted to see through fruition? What assets did they want to leave to their grandchildren that haven't yet matured? So we look at that and we take that into perspective so that we're carrying out the wishes. Whereas a corporate trustee may say, you know what, you need to be in these funds at this allocation and we have to sell this. And it and look, that may work for some, but for most people that we work with, um, the reason they're choosing us is they don't want to fit into that box. Yeah. So one, a, a second negative, so they're usually more bureaucratic, less flexible, and typically the fees are more. What's the benefit? Why, why do so many people choose a corporate trustee? Well, I, I think it's easy, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, a lot of times you have a piece of paper and you check the box and we'll select this corporate trustee. And it's also, look, someone who's 40, 50, 60 years old, still very busy, they don't have the time to go out and interview people or explore these things. So it's if a name like Wells Fargo, it's pretty tried and true and, and it's easy to check the box. Yeah, I, I, um, that's the name that came to mind as well is that, hey, they've been around 100 years. I don't, this trust could go on for another 50. I want to name somebody that I know is going to be around. And then they're in the news a bunch and you start hearing about the things that have gone on there. and. Maybe the, fam the, the family isn't as happy that it's stuck at that corporate trustee. Yeah. So longevity has pros and cons to it. And again, I come back to it. It's a relationship. We want to develop a relationship with, you know, depending on who the settler or the, the grantor of the trust is, they, sometimes they like to bring multiple generations into the room and we work with them and we talk about what's happening and where things are going and, and what the intention is. But we also have a team. So, you know, if 
God forbid I got hit by a bus tomorrow. There's a second person named to step up on the trust. And that, but the whole team has all the knowledge. They've been in meetings. I do think in, in the corporate world, you tend to get passed on and you have a rotating uh, deck of different people that show up on the case or, or the matter. So what we've tried to do, you know, one thing we're really proud of is we have great tenure in our company, similar to yours. Most of the people that are the key people in our firm have been there since the beginning. So it's made a real difference. Yeah. So before we get in particular about your firm, why do you think people choose a private fiduciary over family and over a corporate trustee? So fees aren't near what they are at the corporate trustee level. Less, uh, probably some more flexibility. Hopefully a better relationship because you don't have as the turnover. But why do they choose it? Why do you think they choose it? I mean, I threw out a lot there, but... the. Look, fees are important. Everyone looks at fees and typically corporate trustees are more expensive. But, you know, I look at this. If you pick up your phone and you want to talk to someone about your trust and your assets and what's going on, can you, is the person going to answer? Do you know the person? Have you met them in person? Do you know, do they understand your wishes? Do they understand what you want? Have you met the people on their team? Or are you getting a voicemail at a Northern Trust or something like that. So people know how to get a hold of us. We develop a relationship. I think that's the primary issue. Going back to the family side, sometimes people have to learn the hard way that family's not the right choice. And I, I truly understand people who want to pick their son or daughter or their brother or their sister, but it should really be an honest conversation at first. Like, does this person have the ability, the time commitment? What about geographically? You know, if you're here in California and your brother's in Oklahoma, how does that work? You know, there's a lot of things that have to happen, get signed, administration. So, I, and the undue stress that it does put on family members and the potential for creating conflict in future generations. Sometimes actually people are, are quite secretive, right? Which is which totally their uh, MO, whatever they want to be, but they don't want their kids to know how much is coming down to them. They want their kids to earn their own future. Um, so that's, that's also another reason that I've seen families, or excuse me, settlers, trust uh, grantors not choose family. Yeah. So you and I have known each other quite a long time, since uh, 2011 or 12, and uh, David was a soccer coach, and we were on competing soccer teams when our kids were in kindergarten, first grade. I did, I did have your daughter once, though, so we were lucky to have a great defender. <laughs> great defender. <laughs> Those kids are almost out of high school here. They're two years left. My, my daughter has her driving test today. Yeah. So, yeah. Time flies. Yeah. And uh, we've also worked on lots of cases together over the years, from pretty simple things to things that have been unbelievably complex. I think one thing that I've really appreciated about you and your team is taking complexity, going and figuring out getting all of your resources in order, coming back with, okay, how are we going to approach this? This is how the compliance regime or how we need to approach these decisions. And it's never been, no, it's always been, well, let, let me explore. Let me see what we can do. And we've had people with very esoteric assets to very, very much more simple assets. And, uh, you guys have, you don't have a square box that it has to fit in. You're, you're willing to pretty much take m most all of it. Talk, talk about that. Sure. Um, well, I'll go back to intention. I mean, you, you have, we want to, 
people who work their whole lives, that create a wealth, that have an estate, they have a plan. We want to be a part of the plan, right? We don't want to... We don't want to be the ones shaping or dictating it. So we want to be flexible and we, we want to carry out their wishes. I, th I think, uh, especially the cases that we've worked on together, I think p as people past 50, 60 years old, they start to realize that they can give away things now and get tax deductions. And your firm's been really good at that. So eye-opening for myself as too. But I think you have to be flexible, but, but you have to be smart. And when you have a good team and a good group around you, you know, wealth management like yourself, state planning, council, CPAs that are doing the tax returns, and fiduciaries like ourselves, you can, you know, you can explore things. And you can look at it and you can say, look at the risks and look at the format and say, hey, this, this is doable. We can do this. You know, it takes more work. It takes more effort, documentation. But I think it gets done and it's the right thing. And for us, it's... It, coincides with the intention of the person with the assets so yeah. we've had some great some great solutions we have we've really enjoyed the relationship these things go on for yeah. many 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 years and i think that the other thing especially people who are do-it-yourselfers they made the money and now they've got 10 million 20 million 100 million dollars and they've made a lot of these decisions and putting other people in charge where they haven't made these decisions, little decisions can have a very big impact. And so really starting to develop relationships with firms like yours, like who, who would be the right firm that would step in if something happened to me? I don't think too many people really think about that, right? They, they, they name their family and they don't, they don't think about it, right? Yeah. It's, um, look, nobody expects a tragic event to happen today or tomorrow, but, but it does happen. And look, I, what I can say is when we work with people and, and whether they're naming us as a successor trustee or as a trustee immediately, th there's a peace of mind that, hey, I've taken care of this. I've, um, if something happens to me, my family is going to be protected or they're in good hands. And, you know, whether you call it settling your affairs, being prepared, planning, uh, there are good things to do. Mm -hmm. So why don't you share, like, uh, why don't you share one on each side? Why don't you share a, a recent success that was super successful? Why don't you start first with, like, a, the, a recent real learning for the family and for everybody involved, and then, then, then a success? Well, not, not everything is a um, happy story. Right. I mean, we have a lot. Unfortunately, sometimes we end up in a lot of litigation, not litigation that we cause litigation that's been there. So we have a family in Texas that has about 300 million of woodlands that's been in the deed of the woodlands was signed by Sam Houston. It's kind of, kind of goes back a while. Wow. And unfortunately, the generation four has been fighting over it a long time. And our, our job is to come in and administer it. So sometimes those are unfortunate ones, but we're being prudent and we're being smart about it. We also have other cases where the settler's main goal is to take care of her pets. That's, that's her primary care, primary focus, and she's set out all the money to pets. She cats and dogs. Okay. So she has uh, she's divided up the money amongst her grandchildren. 
And she's really focused. When we sat down, her main priority is who's going to take these pets to these people. And we laid out a plan who can do that. And look, that, that was what was most important to her. And we've got it all figured out. So then we have other cases uh, where there's been exotic cars. This is a case you and I had together. Very exciting. Uh, in the car world, they're called barn finds. So we opened this garage and there were about 60 cars in there. Uh, one of them had a cover on it. It was a 1950 Ferrari that was owned by the Prince of the Netherlands. Crazy. And so we worked together with the family to create an auction and hire a broker. And the, comp the car sold for over $2 million. Didn't run, but sold for over $2 million. And they used that money to set up a charitable foundation, which would keep the intention of the grantor alive to really uh, support kids in technology and automotive works, which was his passion. So really fun to be a part of that. And you know, from your firm on the planning side, it accomplished wealth preservation, moving money to different generations. There was tax avoidance and there was charitable giving. So a lot of fun, a lot of fun, really great to see. And we're, uh, we're seeing the seeds of that now. He's since passed, but it, it's been great. Yeah. So it's a lot of complexity. Yes. And how do we make, take that complexity and make it simple and elegant and, and digestible? So I was a CPA, so I, I take it for granted maybe. But a lot of people that we work with and that we work with together don't really understand tax consequence. So they have these ideas about where they want things to go, but they haven't thought about the tax consequences. So really just thinking, whether it's thinking about a private fiduciary or any fiduciary, if that's gonna bring these thoughts and, ha and planning to the forefront, it can be really meaningful. And we've seen, um, yeah, we, we've seen some great wealth preservation through just starting that planning process. Yeah. I often share with folks who decide that they're going to list a trust bank to make sure that it's flexible so that if down the road they decide that it's a company that's in the news and they, it just doesn't line up with their value system, that there's a way that the beneficiaries can exit so that they aren't like locked in to that relationship until the trust terminates. And I think that's very, very good, very, very good advice for folks. Do you give similar advice or other advice around that if they're going to name either a trust bank or a private fiduciary? Flexibility is important, and you want to you want to be able to make changes. Um, it's never happened to us, uh, but I could see a situation where the next generation maybe isn't happy with what we're doing or not getting along with us. Uh, they, you'd want them to have the flexibility to make a change. They, they should have that right. But also, um, you know, you have that revolving door at corporate trustees that, again, it's really a relationship business at the day. And if you don't have a relationship or you feel you can't develop a relationship uh, with, that, with the tr corporate trustee or private trustee, you should have the flexibility to make a change. I think it really just keeps the relationship with high integrity, right? Yeah. Both sides are choosing in, and if they don't think it works, they can choose out. Yeah, so. but it, look, it's also, we, we have a fiduciary duty and we're neutral, but it is a service business, right? 
we have to be attentive to the needs of the family, of the trust, and, and responsive to it. So I think a lot of the complaints that I see with the corporate fiduciaries is that it's, it's not, um, they're not responsive, it's not service-based. Um, again, I don't want to confuse that with your fiduciary duty, but if you, if you, you need to be service-based. Yeah. So I hear oftentimes, though, it's the rigidity it's they're not they're, they don't feel heard, right? They're saying, "Hey, I want to do something different." I, do you hear that as well? I mean, what are the complaints? That sure. You- a simple example is we had a, a gentleman who passed away. His kid down the street, who he loved, became one of the top selling real estate brokers in town, and this guy had this beautiful house. And so he said, "Hey, I want you know Joe Smith of Coldwell Banker to." be the broker on my house when we sell it. And the trust companies, they weren't in their approved list and they weren't, um, for some reason, they're like, we can't permit that. And it just seems silly. Now, look, if, if that was me, I've got to meet Joe Smith and make sure he's qualified. But I think having that flexibility and, and again, relationship, and, and I go back to intention. This gentleman wanted this. You know, Now, granted, he didn't write it in his trust that he should be the broker, but I, I think you have to be open to that flexibility. Um, also, with the investment products, you know, I find, especially working with Centura, you have this wide breadth of investment products. And then when you're getting stuck into what almost feels like a 401k fund choices, it, it just doesn't provide the flexibility or, or the go along with the intention of what the person had done their whole life. Yeah. So if somebody in the listening audience is hearing this today, Give, kind of walk through the checklist of the things that they should do in making this decision between trust bank, private fiduciary, and family. Like, sure. kind of walk through what's the checklist to get prepared to make this decision? Well, first I'd look at what are your assets? Are your assets simple or complex? You know, going back to the private, if your assets are simply 10 million of Qualcomm stock, you know, it's going to be easy for anybody to, to do that. If your assets a little more or a little more or a little complex, or have some type of generational capacity where you want them to survive, whether it's real estate or other assets, then I think you should look at someone as a private fiduciary or a family member, friend, because they're going to have the flexibility and the time to understand those assets, to get to know you, to understand your intention with those assets. Finally, we've talked about the family, um, and we've seen a lot of cases where fa- family's been fine, but you just have to look at it. Does, does the family member or friend, have, one, have the expertise? Two, do they want to do this? A lot of times what we find is people say yes because they don't know how to say no in the family member. And do they, do they have the time? Uh, it, it's a time-consuming job, and there, there's a lot of T's to cross and I's to dot and a lot of compliance. I can tell you, well, you know, we spend a lot of times in meetings with estate planning attorneys, tax advisors, financial planners, charitable organizations. It takes a lot of time to do it right and to do it thoughtfully. So does that family member have the time? And then ultimately, what type of conflicts or stress are you putting on the family member? Are they truly neutral? Are they not biased? Is there some sibling rivalry that's going to come out of it? You know, there's a lot of, we, unfortunately, we see a lot of unintended consequences. You know, the brothers and sisters all get along, but when someone's in charge and has a little bit of authority and power, even if they do everything right, they're just looked at with different scrutiny. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that that yeah. happens at times. 
oftentimes my advice is if you are going to name that family member and they agree to it, I often share with them to say, listen, give them the ability to resign that says, hey, if it ever becomes too much or family and life circumstance changes where I don't have the time or the re- to, to spend to do this, that I can resign. So who, who's second? Is that, is that private fiduciary or a trust company? It's spending the time to make certain that that's going to be a good match. What do you typically do if somebody calls you up? How do you, how do you help people understand who you guys are and, and what it would be potentially like to be a client? Go, go, I'm going to go back to your first comment. Um, think about the expertise and, and, dare I say, the gravitas of the person who built this wealth. Are they re- is their friend or their family member or their child, do they really understand all the nuances of their entire portfolio and know how to manage and grow that? So that, that's the first thing I would say. And we know that that's typically not the case. Not the case. And I look, nor do I, but you know what I have? I have a team around me. I'm good at three or four things, but in our team, they're good at other things, whether it's real estate, investments, planning. So that, that's why you need a team. I think ultimately that's the answer. So I, I would absolutely have a private fiduciary in there as second in line if you are going to choose a family, because I think it does take a team. Your other question was, what, what do I tell someone when they, when they call or what do they ask? So we ask for a meeting. You know, come talk to us. Tell us about tell us about what you've done, what your intentions are. Let's look at your trust. Where do you want to see this wealth go? How do you want to see it developed? How do you want to pass it on? So we really understand the intention, the the breadth of the different asset classes, and then we match our expertise towards each of that and develop a plan. Right? We really we're stewards. We're custodians. We're fiduciaries. We want to be stewards of their vision, of their legacy, of making sure the assets get to the beneficiaries that they want in the form that they want, whether it's immediately, over time, with strings, without strings. The typical estates that you serve are 10 million to up to a billion dollars. How do you guys charge? Is it hourly? Is it fixed fee? Like, how how does it work? It's both. So we'll develop a plan that suits the needs of the of the individual. So for example, if someone's portfolio is simply stock and there's not a lot that we need to do, um, a fixed fee, maybe a small percentage is probably the best way to go. There's other people that have more, a wider breadth of assets and, you know, real estate, construction, uh, multiple homes, airplanes, things like that. And, And for that, we can look at a fixed fee or an hourly, We've done both. It really, it comes up to the individual. What, what do they want? What's their budget for these services? And a lot of times while they're, um, while they're in possession of the trust or the assets, they want to do the work themselves, but they want to consult with us just so that we're up to speed and, and know everything. Right. So it just depends on scope, but also starting to build that relationship prior to, so it's not a cold start. Right. I think that's the most important thing. Right. And also, look, it's a level of trust, right? Who's, who is ever going to be comfortable while they have capacity and while they're in their earning years to say, hey, here's everything I worked my whole life for now. Yeah, you go manage it. So it, it takes time. And um, now, look, we do have those instances where people lose capacity and need someone immediately. 
And those are different circumstances, but that's also a relationship as well. Okay. So as somebody's in the market searching for these services, why don't you give us a closing thought on what the things that you think the actions that they should take? Well, there's two things that are certain, right? Death and taxes. So unfortunately, we're all going to die. So this is whether you're going to select somebody today or two years from now, it's something you need to deal with. So I would say make it a priority. Two, I would say, you know, get a list of names, interview some people and see who's the right fit. You know, it doesn't, this isn't a lot of work. You know, sometimes it's only a half hour conversation or a half hour meeting, but it's getting a little level of comfort. Two, ask your advisors, right? Ask your wealth manager, your estate planning attorney. Hey, who do you, who do you like? Who's good at this? Who understands these type of, types of assets? Um, and then three is, you know, what we didn't talk about today is family dynamics. That, that's a whole host of things. So uh, we, I would say we're, we're really good at understanding and appreciating and working through family dynamics because that, that can really be where all the time is spent at the end of the day. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it just takes some massaging, hand-holding explanation, and that's somewhere where we excel. So who's going who's gonna to be a good fit to work with your beneficiaries when you're no longer here? I think it's very, very... Uh very wise words to spend time on prevention here to make certain that we don't have those unintended consequences. Thank you so much for spending the time. Today. Oh, this was great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Enjoyed being here. So can you give to the listening audience how to contact David Stapleton? Sure. You can go to our website, which is uh, stapletoninc.com, or you can, and you'll have our phone number and information about our company. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you if we can help. And the last thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for being part of the Live Life Liberated podcast. David, thank you so much for being a part. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah. And if you want to get in contact with me, my name is Derek Myron, and you can reach me at dmyron at centurawealth.com. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results. 